Hey, my name is Brianna, and you're listening to the FCC Grayson Podcast. God is doing some incredible things here at First Church. To learn more about FCC and maybe plan your visit, head on over to FCCGrayson.com. We hope today's message gives you hope, inspires, and encourages you in your walk with God. Let's dive into today's message. Uh, This morning we're going to continue in our Redeemer study and we're going to be looking at another practical aspect. We've talked about shame and guilt, dealing with those and how God deals with those in our lives. And then we talked about fear and anxiety last week. This week we're going to be talking about the practical portion of our lives in this study of our purpose. What is our purpose? And I just kind of want to say this um, just up front. This is not taking away. This does not count against my preaching time. Okay. Can we agree to that? Roy, you no, no, Roy's shaking his head. No. All right. Why do I always go to him or Billy Murray? And I know exactly what's going to happen. Hi, Billy. How are you? I know you're just sitting back there minding your business and I, I went there. So my bad. Um, but November 1st, by the way, a little side note, this is six years now that I've been a part of the first church family. Uh, it came 2014. No, 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 no. Okay, keep it up. That's fine. Go ahead. Go ahead. No. Uh, 2014, November 1st, I, uh, I, I became part of this family, and it's been a fantastic six years, and I hope for a lifetime more of, uh, more of a time with you as family. Uh, but before we get into our purposes, as individuals, our purpose, I want to kind of just throw out something that I hope that we communicate. I hope that we see that, that you can see that we do. But I kind of want to make sure that I'm consistently putting out in front of you the purpose for this church. Uh, And and listen, we strive for excellence in all things. That's Colossians 3.23. Everything that you do, do as excellent unto the Lord. So there is not an area that we want to just kind of go, ah, it's not that important. We don't want to do it to the best of our abilities or we don't want to do it excellently. But the one thing that I want to make sure that we understand that as a purpose of this church, this, the purpose of this church is not to be entertaining. The purpose of this church is not to be attractional. Okay, that's not what we're setting out for. That's not our mindset. That's not our vision. The purpose of this church, however, is bringing glory to God. In everything we say, everything that we do, everything we undertake, bring glory to Him. And I promise you that if we bring glory to Him in those things, everything else is going to take care of itself. Listen, we want excellent praise and worship, and that was excellent praise and worship. We want good, solid, biblical teaching. That's a must. There's no getting around that. Every event we do, every ministry that we do, everything that's an auxiliary of this place, we want to do with excellence, but we The purpose of this church is to never sacrifice bringing glory to God to try to be entertaining or attractional. So I'm giving you complete permission right now to hold me as your pastor accountable to that standard moving forward. That if this church ever begins to veer, ever begins to waver into a place where we're more concerned about our entertainment value or our attraction instead of foundational truths of bringing glory to God and, and as Paul says, knowing nothing but Him, Christ, and Him crucified. You have my permission to call me out on that. Do it lovingly, please. But that's how passionate that we are as leadership in this church to bring glory to God. So that's the overall purpose of the church. Now let's talk about you. 
Because I'm going to kind of, if you're in the communications, uh, if you've got a communication background or you, you're in that type of business, uh, then you're going to understand what the, the term burying the lead means. Or if you're, uh, you know, if you're really from eastern Kentucky, it's burying the lead. Uh, so I'm going to bury the lead a little bit this morning. And I'm going to tell you that as a believer, your purpose, the, the meaning of your life, your purpose is to be in Christ Jesus. That's it. What's the will of God for my life? Be in Christ. What does he want me to do? Be in him. Well, how does that look? Be in him. I promise you, if you will focus on him and you will make sure that your life is in Christ, all of these other things will take care of themselves. He will reveal those to you. What, God, what do you want me to do? Well, if you're in him, he'll show you. God, I don't know what kind of work I'm supposed to do. Be in him. He'll show you. But the problem that we have is we have this tendency to kind of want to search these things out for ourselves. You know, we kind of want to, um, you know, I've said it many times before, and I'm sure that I'll say it many times in the future, but we have a tendency as flawed, fallible human beings to want to make our plans and then spend time asking and begging God for his blessing on our plans. When we should be seeking God and being in Christ and God, what do you want me to do? And then walking in that revelation of what God has for our lives because we don't have to worry about it being blessed when we do that. If we communicate with God up front and it comes from him what we're supposed to do, then we don't have to worry about begging, pleading, and, and just sackcloth and ashes kind of thing, looking to God for, God, please bless this. Please, please bless this. So your purpose is to be in Christ. That's what he's called you to do. So now let's look at scripture that unpacks that for us. If you have your Bibles, turn to the book of Ephesians. Chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. We're going to be reading verses 1 through 10. And this, I'm going to be reading out of the English Standard Version. Verse 1 says, and you, oh, by the way, uh, I forgot something there. Notice how many times, as I'm reading this, as you're looking at it, notice how many times the word in is part of this passage. Okay, I-N-N. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we have all lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But God being rich in mercy because of the great love in which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus." For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God. Not a result of works, so that no one may boast. 
For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for our time together. Today I pray that everything that we do here be pleasing in your sight. God, I ask now that as we begin to uh, dive into your word a little bit deeper, that God, that you would bless this time together, that you would bless hearts that are listening, and that your perfect word would do your perfect work in our lives. God, I pray right now that, uh, that you would remove as much of me as possible. Holy Spirit, I ask that you speak through me. In Jesus' name, amen. So did you notice how many times that word in was in that passage? In 10 verses, 13 times. So I think there's a theme that's developing here. Paul's telling us about something. And Ephesians is a book that was written to the church at Ephesus. It was a letter uh, that he wrote um, to that particular church. So he has a message here in this passage. And I think that we need to understand really the weight and the gravity that we're seeing Paul write with here. I want to take you back a couple times, uh, just not only out of this study, but when we were in uh, our, our study on the book of Psalms over the summer. Uh, Psalm 110, we titled that one Hope, and we looked at three different areas of hope. And then earlier in this series, we talked about the adoption, we talked about our identity, and we talked about how dangerous it is when we look to other sources other than our Father to provide us our identity. In Psalm 110, we see where there was two misguided places of hope. The first of which was a religious system. David was telling us in that psalm that if your hope is in a religious system or in traditions of men or following a list of rules, then you have a misplaced hope. The second one was misplaced hope in a political ruler. I don't know if you've heard, we have an election coming up. Tuesday, it's coming up. Listen, here's what I'm going to do the day after the election. I've already voted, went yesterday, stood in line outside, kind of froze a little bit, but it's all good. I, I, I did my thing. But what I'm going to do Wednesday is no matter who wins, I'm going to wake up, I'm going to come to work, I'm going to praise God, I'm going to love my friends and family and my community well, and I'm going to give all the glory and honor to God regardless of who wins the election. That's exactly what I'm going to do the day after the election. But if we look at this passage, so we've, all, we've all also seen an adoption that these, these dangers of trying to find our identity in others or in the world or in ourselves. And I think that that's probably been one of the hardest hitting portions for me is that battle that I fight within myself to find my identity in me. Because I set a standard for my life that I can never live up to. And we talked about this, so I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time there, but there's never been one time that at the end of the day that I've gone to bed at night and went, got it. You can check that one off the box. That was the perfect day. I always fall short. 
And therefore, I always fall into that shame and that guilt if I'm looking in me. And then we can talk about in the world, we can talk about in a political system, we can talk about in a religious system, we can talk about all these different sources, but what we see in Ephesians chapter 2 is Paul so passionately saying that your identity and your purpose is to be in Christ and Christ alone. And I love how he starts out here. The third word in this passage is were. What tense is that? That's what I hear. What tense is that? Past. Thank you. So if you're in Christ, he begins to talk about these were the things that you were. Remember, new creation, 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Old man passed away. All things been made new. They, you're a new creation in Christ Jesus. But he goes on to talk about that, hey, here's what you were, and here's what you can kind of fall back into. You know, the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air and the spirit that now work in the sons of disobedience, among who we all lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. That's not great. Okay? That's not a good trajectory to be on. And that's what we all were before we were in Christ Jesus. Now, I'm going to make this statement, and I've tried to find a way to make it that doesn't seem a little bit crude or a little bit tongue-in-cheek or like I'm telling a bad dad joke. I mean, because, let's face it, I've never told a bad dad joke. Right, Rachel? Yeah, 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 yeah. It's convincing. Okay. But verse 4, there is one of the biggest, most significant buts in the history of Scripture. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love in which He loved us. Friends, that may be one of the single most sweet scriptures in the Bible. Because what we see is Paul has laid out how truly depraved that we are, how truly sinful that we are, how truly wretched that we are when we are in anything other than Christ Jesus. But God who is rich in mercy and because of his great love for us. And then Paul goes in, and I'm going to read this next passage, and he, he spends several verses, but there's one message. Because we see that we were the author of all of these things. We were the source of the beginning up through the first three verses. And that led us over to wickedness, to God's wrath, to all of these things. And just a, a quick side note, I'm not going to get too far down this rabbit hole, but whenever you read about God's wrath, most of the time in Scripture, especially in the New Testament, most of the time, we, we think of God's wrath as like the Sodom and Gomorrah type wrath, you know, of raining down fire and judgment, and, and it's all of this sudden thing. In the New Testament, most always, it's not that type of wrath. It is a steady separation between us and our purpose of being in Christ, which will eventually 
lead to an eternity separated from God's presence. That is God's wrath most of the time that we see in the New Testament. It's not one of these things, boom, lightning bolt strikes you on top of the head. No, it's he's just, if we continue to be in something else, he's just giving us over to this wrath that just causes this slow but steady separation from his presence. And if we think about it, when was the first time that we see mankind separated from our purpose? It's Genesis 3, right? It's Adam and Eve. Because that gives us a picture before the fall. That gives us a picture of what purpose really is. And that's walking in perfect fellowship in the cool of the day with our Creator. Being in Him. That's our purpose. But then let's read this next passage. Um, Let's read verses 5 through 9. And let's see if we can pick up on a theme here. So he loved us even when we were dead in our trespasses. Even when you were an enemy of God, he loved you. It's amazing. But he made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God. Not a result of works, so that no one may boast. You being in Christ has absolutely nothing to do with anything that you have done to be qualified, to be acceptable, or to be right in His sight. Being right and being in Jesus Christ is a result of Him coming, Him living perfect, Him dying, Him raising again, Him ascending to heaven, and Him making intercession on our behalf. It is through the faith that we have in him that we are made right before God. It's not because we're good enough. It's not because we treat people well enough. It's not because we make enough money. It's not because we give enough money. It's not because we pray enough. It's not because we read enough. It is through faith in Christ alone that you are saved. In Christ Jesus, not by anything that we can do. It is by his grace. And when we sing Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I think that we really ought to be pausing in our mind and going, how wretched am I truly? And how amazing is that grace really? Because I don't know about you, but I'm terrible. I do not deserve anything that Jesus Christ has done for me, is doing for me, or will do for me. There is nothing that will qualify me for that other than the fact of that I am in Christ Jesus because of His grace through my faith. So what are you in today? What are you in? Let's look at this next passage. Verse 10. For we are His workmanship, created 
in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Now, anytime we begin talking about works in our Christian walk, we need to make sure that we're understanding the source of these works and how they play out because it's really easy for us to fall into a religious system of thinking that it's a works-based thing and that's what gets us in this relationship. But let's look at this very carefully. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. So we should be doing good works. No question. That's a command. It's an expectation. Because God had prepared them beforehand But look at this, this last part, that we should walk in them. We don't create them. We don't make them up. We don't look around for these things trying to find things. We don't try to be the author of them. We're not the composer of the works of our lives. We walk in them in the works that he has already prepared how do we know that it's the works that he already prepared we know by being in him that goes back to this quit making plans asking god to bless them seek god first seek his kingdom and his righteousness go after his his presence be with him and ask him to reveal to you god what are the works that you already have planned for me and go from there don't make your plans and then expect god to bless them go after god just be in him and walk in the works that he has for you i am one of the world's worst for trying to create works And usually my litmus test of really whether they were of God or not is if they worked. Because if they didn't work, guess what? (laughs) Guilty. Be in Christ. Now, there's a command here, and I didn't put it on the screen, but it's the next couple verses. And I want to read to you the command, the expectation that we're given here. Verse 11, Therefore, remember that at one time you, Gent- time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenant of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now... Christ Jesus, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been, have been brought near by the blood of Jesus Christ. So that's the command, walk in Him. Remember that we were once separated from Him. Remember that's what we once were. But in Christ, we are a new creation. So I want to close with this this morning. Here's the struggle that we have. I am a fan of biblical and suddenlies. I love the and suddenlies in the Bible. And I, if you have never, I encourage you to do a little bit of a word search or that phrase search in the Bible and see how many times and suddenly happens in the Bible. There are a few that come out of nowhere 
that you don't see any run-up, you don't see any preparations being made ahead of time. You don't, you know, there, there's a few that just boom and suddenly it happens. But most of the time in Scripture, when you see the words and suddenly, you can trace it back to event after event after event after event. You see, we, uh, we live in this time. Um, okay, it, I'm, I'm really going to kind of geek out on you here. And I want to see some hands because I need to know my fellow nerds in here. All right? So, all right, Mike's already holding his hand up. That's great. That's just self-recognition right there. Just go ahead and count me in, man. I'm in. How many of you know what a lichen is? L-Y-C-A-N. Okay, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. You all better know, all right? All right, good deal. If you don't know what a lichen is, it's basically like a werewolf. Okay, so it's a werewolf. Halloween yesterday, it had to work it in somehow. For my nerds out there, how do you kill a lichen? How do you kill a werewolf? Silver bullet. Love it. Yes. I asked this to somebody who shall remain nameless this week, but she's teaching the kids across the street. I asked this to somebody randomly uh, this week about what killed, you know, like the, the werewolves, and she went, a stake to the heart. Oh, it's a vampire. It's a vampire. Jesus, what have you surrounded me with? <laughs> we, have, we have issues with like a silver bullet mentality. You know, like, boom, we shoot that thing in the heart and it dies. How many of you have ever struggled with something in your life? And you have this change because we're reading this, we were. This is what we were. This is what you used to be. This is what you were before Christ. But me personally, and I've got a feeling for every one of us in here this morning, it's the same thing that I know I once was that. I know I'm not that any longer, but man, I still struggle with a whole lot of those things. Anybody? You see, we have this mentality that boom, as soon as that silver bullet's introduced, that all of those things, we shouldn't struggle with them anymore. But we do, don't we? You see, we like to, if, if, we're, you know, if we're wanting to rid ourselves of some kind of fruit in our lives, and we simply think that fruit removal will do the trick. Well, okay, I, I, I once was having a problem with this, and I'm not doing that anymore, praise God. So I must be over that issue. I must be done with it. But then... After a period of time, it comes rolling back in and we begin having the same struggle that we've always had. See, we, we think that our lives have to look like this silver bullet thing. We think that these and suddenlies should just happen. But the reality of it is, is from a scriptural standpoint, most of God's and suddenlies happen over time. You see, his time frame doesn't always match mine. Most of the time, his time frame does not match mine. And I, I would say it's probably true with your life also. So what do we do? We have to take heart in something. Let's look at 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 16 through 18. So we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away our inner self is being renewed day by day. 
For this light, momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are seen are eternal. This body, this this thing that we have, this life that we live, it's fading, it's fleeting. And, and, And if you're like 23, 24 or younger, you're not going to understand this question, but a lot of you will understand there's proof of this body fleeting. Have you ever hurt yourself sleeping? Have you hurt yourself sleeping? It's like you lay down, you fall asleep, you wake up, and you're like, oh, what is that? And then like that half hour period that you just have to have just sitting on the side of the bed. <sighs> While my wife's laying over going, you okay? Yeah, I'm fine. How are you? This body's fleeting. And these sins that we struggle with, these areas in our lives that we struggle with so much, there's very few. And I'm not going to say that God can't do it because He can. He can. But oftentimes it's so much of a process in our life of overcoming these things. So I'm going to go ahead and ask the praise team if they would to come on back up. Here's, here's what I want to leave you with this morning. I want you to take some inventory in your life. Do a little bit of of self-evaluation here. What are you in? What are you in? Now, you're sitting in church, and you've been listening to this message, so I don't want you answering to yourself the Sunday school answer that you know that you should be answering right now. I'm in Christ. Listen, if that's you, great, fantastic. Keep going, keep doing it. But... Most of us sometimes at least have this struggle that we are in something else. And you know what? We can, in our hearts, in our minds, we can convince ourselves of one thing. But I'll tell you who we can't convince is the people that we're around. Because we will reveal to them ultimately what we are in. And one of the easiest ways to start this evaluation is what are your social media habits? What do you talk about most on social media? What do you share the most? What are your comments on social media? There's so much temptation to open a can of worms here, but I'm not going to. I'm going to be strength. I'm going to be strong. I'm going to be strength. Yes, exactly. I'm going to be strength. But look at that. That's reflecting what you're passionate about, what you're in. Is it showing more during this political season, during this time of coronavirus, during this time of the social justice? Is it showing that you're in that and you're trying to convince everyone else around you how wrong they are and how right you are? Or are you sharing the love of Jesus Christ? In your conversations, in the way that you conduct yourself, face-to-face, person-to-person, what are you in? And not just the answer of your heart. What does everyone around you see coming from your life? Because again, our purpose is to be in Christ. To show forth His love, His goodness, and His mercy and grace 
Whether you think that that other person deserves his love or grace or not, that's exactly what you're called to share. That is what we are called to be in. So the purpose of our life this morning, according to second or not, according to Ephesians 2, 1 through 13, is to be in Christ. So use that as a litmus test this week. It's what I'm getting ready to say. It's what I'm getting ready to do. It's what I'm getting ready to post. Does it show forth the reality that I am in Christ? If there's a hesitation, if there's a no, even if there's a maybe, please just pause and make sure that everything that we do, everything that we say reflects the fact that we are in Christ and that we're bringing glory to Him.